Amen. What a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen, church? God is good. He's been faithful our whole lives. And it's always awesome to see people follow believers' baptism and submitting to the call that Jesus has on their life. Well, my name is Eli Garza. For those of you who don't know me, I serve here as the discipleship pastor to students, middle school through high school, young adults, college students. And I'm so thankful that, that we're in a church that values the next generation. We're in a church that values equipping students and young adults to be the disciples that God has called them to be. And so every time that I have an opportunity, I want to invite you to just continue to pray for our students and young adults, that they would come to know Jesus in a real way, that they would be impacted by him, and they would walk in obedience of the calling that Jesus has on their life. The next teachers, evangelists, pastors, uh, shepherds, just that, that God would continue to flow uh, his spirit upon them. Amen. Because we know that the next generation is powerful and the next generation will continue to change the generations to come because that's what it's all about. We're talking about being disciple makers. That's what we're all called to be. That's what we believe, that we're to make disciples for the glory of God among the nations. And we've been in a series this summer in the, in the book of Luke, looking over different passages about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to belong, what it means to believe so that we would become the disciple followers, disciple makers that Jesus has called us to be. And today, we conclude our series in the book of Luke, chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 24. We'll be starting in verse 36. But before we get there, uh, let's just kind of summarize where we've been. It's been a long journey. We've talked about the different principles and aspects of a follower of Jesus last week. Pastor Julio shared on the story of the widower and the two coins and, and how it's important for a believer to faithfully give generously because he has given us so much already. The faith that the woman had that she gave uh, to the, the, uh, where she needed to give to in obedience to Jesus and what that looks like and how we are to give cheerfully, continue to give uh, with joy because of how faithful God has been. But then we're going to fast forward to chapter 24. And we're going to see a culmination of big things that are very important for us to understand. And so after that story of the widower, uh, we, we fast forward and Jesus is doing his thing. But then he gets arrested, right? He's betrayed. And, and then he ultimately gets crucified. He dies on a cross. And just for a moment, bear with me. Let's look at, uh, let's imagine the minds of the disciples right now. Okay. Because the realities are changing so much throughout these days, right? All of a sudden, they're following Jesus, and then he's dead. The person that they believed was the Messiah, that they believed would bring hope, is gone. And they're now in this reality of Jesus not being there with them anymore. But we know the most glorious day, the third day, that Jesus raised from the grave. Amen? that he is indeed alive again. It's the most important moment in the history of the world, of our existence. It's the reason why we're here this morning is because Jesus is alive and we're rejoicing and celebrating in that fact. And you would think that when Jesus were to appear to the disciples, that it would be a huge party, that they would run to him, that they would just rejoice to just, man, be so happy. But we're gonna see that that's not necessarily the case. Because what we're going to learn is that realities change either for the better or for the worse in our life, right? For some of us, 
we think about maybe something like graduating high school, it's promotion Sunday today. So we have students being promoted to different grades. Some have already promoted out of the student ministry and are now going to college. So there are students that are for the first time going to experience what college is like, the freedom, right? The excitement, that's a new reality. Or maybe you get married, that's a new reality. You have your first child, now you're in a way new reality. And all of that is good and amazing. But then there are different moments that change reality for the worse. Maybe you lose a loved one. Maybe your family is in shambles. Maybe you've been diagnosed with a sickness that will be with you for the rest of your life. Maybe you lost a job, a career you don't know anymore. You're uncertain. And it's in these type of realities that are so impactful, that are so painful that it does not allow us to enter into a new reality that is filled with hope. We often get stuck and it prevents us from seeing the other side, seeing that there is indeed something to look forward to because of the pain and the hurt that that moment has caused that led to a new reality. And we're gonna see that the disciples are stuck in this morning phase, this morning reality that Jesus isn't there that the person that they witnessed heal a man who was sick for over 30 years instantly, the person that they witnessed feed thousands of people with a little fish and a little bread, the person that they witnessed pick up the lady that was wiping her tears on the feet of Jesus and say, go and send him where all is forgiven. The person that they loved, that they spent three years with is now gone. What? Do they do? What, what goes on in their mind? Well, what happens is that because they're so fixated on this moment, things start to develop in their minds, particularly doubt. Doubt starts to uh, enter their minds and the enemy will always look for opportunities when you're in this dark reality to feed you lies, to make you think that things will always remain this way, that there's nothing to look forward to. That was the reality that they had. And this reality is something that we struggle with as well when we go through those dark times. But here is the point, is that Jesus loved his disciples so much that he was willing to remove those doubts from them. And we pick up the story starting in verse 36 through 38. It says this, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Now remember, Jesus is raised from the dead. He defeated the grave and he appears to the disciples. And what is the first thing he says to them? Peace be with you. Almost like, hey, don't freak out. I'm right here. I have come to bring you peace. Peace be with you. Did the disciples react peacefully? No. It says that they were scared. They were terrified. They thought they saw a ghost. This is too good to be true. They're so fixated. Their minds are clouded by the loss of Jesus that when he's right in front of them, they don't see him. They're terrified. They run away. They don't get near him. These are the doubts that are starting to fill the minds of the disciples. And I believe that Jesus is asking us this question, a question that we all need to answer. 
Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Jesus sees this and he proceeds to reveal to them who he is. And with love and passion, he starts to remove their doubts. Maybe you came in here this morning, not sure of who Jesus is. You've heard a lot about him, the good, the bad. Maybe you've heard some misrepresentations of Jesus. Maybe you came in here not knowing who you are, not sure of where you're going or where you're going to be. Maybe you're, you're filled with doubts that are rooted in a moment of pain and suffering that has shifted you into a reality that does not allow you to see that Jesus is indeed alive. Well, I believe that Jesus wants to speak about that to us this morning. Because instead of bashing the disciples, he decides to remove their doubts by walking alongside them and showing them that he is who he says he is. And he has come to do what he said he would do. And the very first way that Jesus removes doubt is by providing physical proof, right? It's the first way that Jesus removes the doubt from the disciples is by providing physical proof. That's our first point this morning. Starting in verse 39, it says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And we had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joint amazement, he asked him, well, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate in their presence. Jesus decides to remove their doubt by first showing them his hands and his feet that were pierced, that they saw on the cross, that the person that they saw on the cross is indeed who he, he, he is right now. That the person that they saw on the cross is right in front of them right now. He's showing them his hands, his wounds. He's saying, okay, that's not good enough. You're seeing it now. Okay, come and touch it then. Come and touch my hand. I'm not a ghost, I promise. Look it, I'm right here, right in front of you. Okay, that's still not enough. Okay, you know what? Give me something to eat. Ghosts can't eat anything. I can. Give me something to eat. And they give him a fish and he breaks bread with them. And he's eating with them. And he's showing them physically, visibly, that he's there. But he's also showing them bodily by eating and, and, and breaking bread with them. He's done so many amazing things, though, that it wasn't enough for them to see. They had to come and touch and feel and eat with him. And Jesus is inviting us to do the same thing this morning, for you to come and to see that he is who he says he is. He's inviting you to come see that he is alive, that he is still able to give life, that he is the person that will bring peace to you. And this is very important for us to remember, that because Jesus is alive, then that means that we worship a living God, not a dead God. We worship a living God. And often in this world, we choose to worship so many things that don't bring any life to us, but lead to death itself. According to Romans, the wages of sin is death. And what we choose to worship will reflect the wages that we are willing to pay for it. We worship fame, worship money, Sometimes we'll worship great things, relationships, marriages, family. And while those things are good, none of those things bring life because none of those things have life. But Jesus is alive. We worship a living God and because he is alive, he is able to give life. Are you following with me? He is alive 
And if we choose to worship the things that are dead, then it will only result in death itself. Because the wages have been bought by the hands and the feet of Jesus and the blood that was poured out from his wounds. And we can worship him because he is life. Come and see, he says. Touch my hands and feet, he says. He wants to remove your doubt with the physical proof that he is alive. What doubts are rising in your mind? What are the things preventing you from seeing that he is alive? Because if physically it's not enough for you, then hopefully the word of God is enough for you because he also removes doubt by providing prophetic proof. Verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you. While I will still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. One of the most frustrating things as a kid is, is that when I was 12 years old, for some reason, that was the time that God decided that I was going to know everything. And as a 12-year-old kid, I believed I knew everything, that I could do no wrong, that I was the smartest one alive. Um, and so the most frustrating thing was when my parents would, would say this one phrase, and it really annoyed me. They would say, you'll understand when, you, when you're older. What are you talking about? I'll understand when I'm older. Like, you can't even turn on this cell phone, and you think that I'm going to understand when I'm older? Like, you don't even know how to order something on Google on, my, on your phone. Okay, like you, you have no idea what you're talking about. I have the greatest ideas. I know it all. I know exactly what I need to do. You have no idea what you're talking about. I'm going to know when I'm older. Okay, mom. Okay, dad. Sure. <laughs> hey, can you order something for me? Yeah, I didn't think so. But here's the frustrating part is that I am now 28 years old. Um, and admittedly, I guess they were right about a lot of things. And I understand a lot better now that I'm 28 years old. And what really scares me is this next phrase that I'm not there to. He says, when you have kids, you'll understand. Oh my goodness, pray for me and my wife. Because we're not there yet. And, and I'm scared of what they meant by that and how that's gonna play out. So y'all be praying for us. But, but here's the point, right? Is that our minds can be so finite. As kids, sometimes we think we know it all and we have the best ideas. And then we realize, no, that was actually kind of dumb. That's, that's not smart at all. And you didn't know it at all. Your parents knew way more than you did. And the thing is, my parents have every right today to look at me and say, I told you so. And, and I have Hispanic parents, so it's much worse because you'll often hear with a tone and just, oh, it's so much worse, guys, in Spanish because you just, it just boils your blood. And, you know, but the thing I love about Jesus is that he doesn't approach that, that way to his disciples. He doesn't approach them and says, I told you so. No, he says, hey, can I invite you to walk with, uh, through scripture with me one more time? Let me, let me open the word and let me show you what we've been talking about for the last three years, right? You need to understand that what the scriptures have talked about was all about me, right? Didn't we read that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem? Didn't we read that the Messiah would come on, into Jerusalem on a donkey, that it would be born of a virgin, 
that he would be betrayed for 30, silvers, uh, 30 pieces of silver, that he would have to die. Did we not read this? This is what it says in the scripture, guys. This is what we've been talking about the whole time. Jesus provided prophetic proof about who he is because he has fulfilled every single prophecy that they read about in the Old Testament. And he's telling the disciples, guys, this is who I am. But, but notice what he's doing. He doesn't make them feel good. It doesn't say that, oh, and he made them feel so special and he touched their hearts. No, he says that he opened their minds because Jesus as much as he's concerned with, with our emotion, he cares about that. He's also concerned with our intellect, with our minds. And that's why he has provided us this, that we could go into his word because his word reveals everything about who Jesus says he is and what he has done and what he is going to do. Our minds are powerful and we often neglect them. How often have you read his word? Your doubts are rooted in so many different things, yet the answers have been in here the whole time. He walked with his disciples. He'll walk with you through the power of the Holy Spirit as you read about who he is in his word. Jesus has fulfilled every single prophecy. He removes our doubts through his word, which reminds me that we worship an omniscient God. God who knows past, present, and future. Everything there is to know about everything. Not just about himself, not just about his disciples, but about you. Past, present, future. He knows who you are and who you will become. He knows where you are and where you will be going. He is an omniscient God, all-knowing. That is how powerful he is. One of the things that I really found fascinating this week as, as I was talking to, to Pastor Paulo, he mentioned to me, if I ever looked into the odds of Jesus fulfilling the prophecy, all the prophecies in the Old Testament. And I was like, no, I actually never like looked at the actual odds because I don't like math. I don't like numbers. Uh, but this time I did, and I was amazed that a professor would come and, and do this with just eight prophecies. And I just want to read this to you. Uh, he said that after examining only eight prophecies, they conser conservatively estimated that the chance of one man fulfilling all eight prophecies was one in 10 to the 17th power. To illustrate how large this number was, he said, if you mark one of 10 tickets and place all the tickets in a hat and thoroughly stir them and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in 10. Okay. Now suppose that we take the 10 to the 17th power and do that with silver dollars and we lay them on the face of Texas. Y'all know how big Texas is, right? It's massive, okay, greatest state in America. They'll cover all of the state two feet deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir it, the whole mass thoroughly all over the state, blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes but he must pick up the one silver dollar that has the special mark on it. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to present time. Those are the odds. If your brain doesn't hurt, just thinking about how many zeros at the end of that and the probability, those are the odds. And guess who defied them? Jesus. 
the one person who fulfilled every prophecy. He only did eight. There are hundreds of them. And Jesus fulfilled those. He removes doubts with prophetic proof. And lastly, Jesus removes doubts by providing promised power. Verse 50 says, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. See, Jesus was going to give everything that the father promised, which was power. Promised power through, through the Holy Spirit. And even though Jesus was leaving and was about to ascend, he was not leaving them alone. But he was providing something that would continue to work through them. And we see that in Acts, in the encounter with Jesus, freed the disciples' minds from, and this encounter freed the disciples' minds from doubt and led to the establishment of the church in Acts by the power of the Holy Spirit. And thousands would come to know Jesus all through the power of the Spirit, which means that we worship a faithful God. We just sang about it. All my life you've been faithful. Do we believe that? What doubts are preventing us from believing that? What circumstances, what realities are we living in that doesn't allow us to see that he has been faithful because he has been? You know, many of you know that, that I love my father and I'm, I'm glad to still have him in my life. And on Friday, we celebrated my wife's birthday and, and I got to see my dad and just talk. And, and I'm always, man, just so blessed to be able to have conversations with him, laugh. And sometimes after those conversations, I think about uh, my life with him and moments. And I always go back to when I was a kid. And, and one of my favorite moments is always him teaching me something. And so I, I've spoken about him teaching me how to drive, but, but another one is him teaching me how to ride my bike for the first time, right? And, and I remember uh, him holding me and, and taking off the training wheels and, and I was scared, I was terrified. And, 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 and he said, hey, I promise I'm not gonna let you go, okay? I will hold you, the training wheels are off, just ride on. I'm like, dad, you better promise. He's like, I promise. And as a kid, that means a lot to me, right? My dad's promising me and I'm gonna believe him. And so we go and, and he's teaching me, he's holding me. I'm not gonna let you go, I'm not gonna let you go. Okay, awesome. And then we finally reach a point where he says, okay, it's time. It's time, we've been practicing this for a long time. I said, no, no, I don't think I'm ready, dad. He says, Eli, you're 20 years old. I think, I think it's time. I think you're ready to do this, man. And, and I said, okay, dad, but just promise me, <laughs> just promise me that it's gonna be okay. He's like, look, I'm gonna hold on to you. I'm gonna talk to you. And then I'm gonna let you go. You won't realize it, but I'm gonna let you go and you're gonna be all on your own. I said, I don't know, Dad. He's like, just, just trust me, let's do this. I'll be watching you, okay, okay. And so I'm pedaling and he's holding me, right? And then he's like holding me from the back so I can't really see him, but he's talking to me the whole way. I'm here, I'm here, don't worry, okay, okay. And we're having conversations and all of a sudden I'm, I'm talking and he's not responding to me. And I'm like, dad, are you there? And I turn around, he's already 50 feet behind me. I've been riding my bike this whole time. I look behind him, he's, he's, he has a smile on his face, joy. And I'm excited, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the taste of freedom of riding my bike on my own. I did it, like no more training wheels. And I'm, I even had the little baseball card in the back of the wheel so everyone knew that I was riding my bike and it would make noise. And I was just so excited that I was doing everything that my dad taught me, everything that we went through together. What he taught me, the power to believe within me that I could do what he told me to do. 
And now he's watching me just with joy and, and happiness. And it's such a great time. And it reminds me of Jesus and how he commissions the disciple to go. It even says, it says right there that you are going to go and proclaim that sins have been forgiven. You're going to go and do this, not by your own power, but by the power that I'm going to provide to you in the spirit. Go and witness. And then I realized something. None of this is possible. None of this is possible unless Jesus is who he says he is. It's not possible unless Jesus says who is who he says he is. And if we for one second assume that we have the power to remove our own doubts, then we're fooling ourselves. We don't have the power. Jesus has the power. He is the power. The same power that raised him from the grave is the same power that has forgiven us from the sins and is the same power that commissioned us to go and be disciple makers for the glory of God among nations. He is who he says he is. And when we realize that, we will remember that God's people are called to worship God continually and to depend on the power of the Spirit. So my challenge for us this morning is that we would submit our doubts to Jesus and worship and witness with full confidence in the power of the Spirit. And if you're coming this morning doubting and you don't know if he loves you, he's telling you right now, I do love you. You know why? You know how I demonstrated my love? Well, let me tell you, while you rejected me, while you hated me, while you persecuted me, I chose to die on a cross for you. That is how I demonstrated my love. That while you are still a sinner, I lay my life down for you. And if there is no doubt that Jesus laid his life down for you, then there is no doubt that he loves you. Because the motive behind doing that has always been love. Love for a people that are broken, that are stuck in this dark reality of sin that they can't get out of. He does love you. No matter what, even though you chose to rebel, and, 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 and uh, just disobey him. He chose to die for you. And so when you look at that cross, you know that the wages of sin has been paid for by Jesus. But here is the challenge, friends, is that we don't stay stuck looking at the cross. Because if we continue to just look at the cross, in the moments of, of, of pain and in the reality of darkness of sin, if we, if we just stay there, then we'll end up like the disciples. No, we need to look at the grave. Look at the grave because there's nobody in there. The cross represents the death of our sin, of our unrighteousness, and the grave represents the life that we now have because Jesus is alive again. Amen? And he has called us to worship him, to love him. That is the power of who Jesus is and who he says he is, is true, that he is alive. And if you're coming in here with doubts, he is wanting to remove those doubts. Come, come and see. Okay, if not, come and read the word. Let me walk through you uh, through, through scripture. And let me give you the power that is found in the spirit so that the fears and doubts may be removed and you are now able to worship freely and live the life that I've called you to live. My favorite way that Jesus ends this, the final act 
that we read in Luke is the way that he blesses the disciples. In the book of Numbers, we, we see in, in Numbers chapter 6, it won't be on the screen, but if, if you have time, you can go to Numbers chapter 6 and, and in verse 20, 22. It's the way that they're supposed to bless the Israelites. It says, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That is how they are to bless the Israelites. And I, and I wonder if Jesus here in, in verse, in verse 50, 52, uh, 51, when he says he was blessing them, I wonder if he quoted numbers. But instead of saying the Lord bless you, I wonder if, if he said, hey, I bless you. And I'm going to keep you. And I am making my face to shine upon you right now. And I'm offering you grace. I'm gracious to you. My face is, is, is towards you right now. And I'm giving you peace. The image of Jesus blessing his disciples like that. Maybe you need peace this morning. Maybe you need to surrender some doubts. Maybe you don't know who Jesus is and, and all this is so weird to you and, and, and death and resurrection. My challenge is that you would come and lay it at the feet of Jesus. Come and see. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus your whole life, but now you're in a season, a reality of dark sin and pain. Come, lay it at the feet of Jesus. Because here's the reality, friends, is that there is a God who desires nothing more than for people to come to know him. And that when you would come and, and know him, you would receive life and, and eternally be with him forever and, rest, and restored forever in heaven, in the new kingdom. But if you die without knowing him, then you're, you are eternally separated from him. And there are so many people, maybe in this room and in this world, that are stuck in the reality of darkness and sin and, and their doubts prevent them from seeing who Jesus is. And if we are to be the disciples that Jesus calls us to be, then we need him to remove those doubts and we need to go and proclaim the word of God to the world. Would you surrender your life to him? Would you allow him to remove your doubts? Would you trust that he is who he says he is? Let's pray together. Father, we are just so thankful for your word. Lord, we're thankful that you are who you say you are. That there is a hope. That there is another side to this life. And that we can experience the fullness of joy. The fullness of what it means to worship you freely. To rely on your spirit for power. And I pray, Jesus, that we would come to know you in a very real way that no doubts would prevent us from living out the calling that you have for us. I pray for those in this room that are going through painful situations that need your restoration power. I pray for those that are in here that are doubting if they're loved, that they would know that they are loved because of what the cross says and that they have a new life because the grave is empty. And I pray, Jesus, that ultimately we would just come to be a church 
that belongs to you, to be a church that believes in who you are, and that we would become the disciples that you've called us to be. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.